Today on Cinema Oblivia, how do you like your ribs? Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on films that are underrated, underseen, unloved, forgotten, or otherwise whatever. I gotta find a better intro. Uh, I am your host, James Eldred, and t- joining me today, I have... It's Rich Nelson. Hey, Rich, thanks for doing this. Why don't you tell the people a bit about yourself um, So and, I your po- do a- and your great podcast? Oh, God. Well, um, I... Used to do a podcast called uh, Betamax Video Club or, or Betamax for for some people, um, looking <laughs> at eighties movies from the the sublime to the ridiculous. And recently, I've started a new podcast called Don't You Want Me, where uh, my friend Katrin and I explore the dysfunctional relationships in film, anything from Superman to West Side Story and Point Break. So, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time over the last few years watching films and. Um, yeah, th- I think we're in for a treat with this one, aren't we? Yes, we are. Today we are talking about Action Jackson, the uh, 1988 Carl Weathers all-time super classic uh, that I have seen. I saw when it came out because my dad was a terrible censor, and I've watched many, many times since then. H- how about you? Um, I similarly, my my dad used to kind of rent us videos and just kind of. I think one the earlier memory was of renting Predator when I was about ten because he thought, "Well, you you kids like Schwarzenegger." And um, I saw this one around a similar time, so I would have been about ten or eleven, probably late eighties, early nineties. And I think I hadn't seen it again up until sort of the last twenty four hours, and it it always stuck with me because of the name and because it had Carl Weathers in it. But coming back to it now, um, I won't spoil what we're going to go into, but I, I've i really love, learned to appreciate it more now. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I definitely watched it when it came out on video. I did a whole podcast about my dad this year and talked about how what a terrible sensor he was. But this is right up there with... Um, with Predator, Dad took me to see Predator in the theater when it came out. I was seven. And my brother and I, when my, when my parents were divorced, we would just watch. My dad would sleep until like 10 o'clock. And we, me and my brother and I would just watch stuff like The Warriors and 48 Hours. I mean, I'm seven. Who cares? And this was one of them that we watched a lot. Like, my brother would get obsessive with movies and watch them again and again and again and again and again. And we probably watched Action Jackson and Adventures in Babysitting like the same weeks over and over again. So, yeah, I am more than familiar with this movie. I absolutely love it, and there's so much to talk about with it. Do you want to start with the cast or the or like? Who made it? Like, what do you think is more? What do you? Where's the? Where? What is more interesting for you, Carl Weathers? Uh, uh, well, I think the, the cast I didn't realize because obviously growing up and 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 again recently watching a lot of films from the '80s, um, you see how many of the cast have appeared in some of the all-time great movies. So, 
you've got um, alumni from Die Hard and Lethal Weapon and, and Predator and Commando. And also, um, I think this is the only time I've ever seen Biff from Back to the Future in anything but yeah. Back to the Future. Well, um, yeah, I think I think the cast has to do a lot with the producer. That's Joel Sil- one of the producers of Joel Silver. Hmm. And he had a stable of of regulars like he produced predator i I did an episode about streets of fire um last year or earlier this year and i go into joel silver more there but joel silver produced the 80s right like he produced die hard he produced this he produced predator later on the matrix like you know lethal weapon hudson hawk weird science commando jumping jack flash you name it and so you get some people like a lot of the minor actors in this movie are in his other movies, right? Because there's a uh, one of the first person who dies is <laughs> uh, Mary Ellen Trainer, um, season lethal weapon, and Jack, You've got, one of the other yeah, detective, and, that, not a yeah. well, he's in lethal weapon, yeah, yeah, and Ed O'Ross, he was the villain. He, well, he was in lethal weapon, but he was also the villain in uh, in Red Heat. So. Yeah, yeah. And you have Devereaux White, who was Argyle and Die Hard. He's in this. Uh, Robert Robert Davy, who was also in Die Hard. He's also in, also in Goonies. He was in mm. this. And uh, Sonny Latham, yeah. Billy from Predator, and Billy from Forty Eight Hours. <laughs> yeah, he's in this also. He was, you know, he was in Predator, Forty Eight Hours, The War. He has a small part in The Warriors. He's he's an interesting, terrible human being. He he passed away a few years ago. He was like. He started in pornography and ended in politics, which is a great career path. Um, I know too much about Sonny Latham. But yeah, I think it's all Joel Silva's fault that all these these people are together because this movie started on the set of Predator because he met Carl Weathers there and I guess he disliked Carl Weathers because how couldn't you? I mean, Carl Weathers is great. I'm sure you've seen Predator, right? Oh wow! Many, many, one many my, times. One of my one of my favorites. So again, that was that was one that I saw at far too young an age, and uh, and and again, it's one of those. It's I, I I did a podcast about it a couple of years ago, and I think mean, you described it as pretty much a perfect movie. Yeah, I mean, I remember my like eighty year old grandmother loved that movie. Like, <laughs> it's just a great, it's a perfect movie, and I really think that some of the acting in that movie is underrated, and including Carl Weathers, because. Carl Weathers has such a presence about him, I, I feel. Like, what do you think? Well, yeah, because, again, this is something, he's, a, he's another one of that kind of era of actors who come from professional sports. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, when, and again, this is something when he was in the Rocky movies, it, it's difficult because they kind of retrospectively did it. I think by the time they got to the Creed movies, he'd kind of, his legend as Apollo Creed was such that he was the equivalent of Muhammad Ali or something like that. He was that big. And I don't think that was kind of underplayed slightly in the Rocky movies, but he had the charisma that was needed in those movies to kind of offset Sylvester Stallone. And yeah. and he carried that through. And by the time he got, I mean, obviously, you know, at the end of Rocky Four, he, he wasn't there anymore. But by the time he got to Predator and he was a little bit of a, I would say, when you're comparing him to Schwarzenegger in 1987, then they're not in the same planet. But he <laughs> held his own in that film and was such a key part of it that you know that charisma that he had, it really played. And I think at that point, 
he almost deserved a starring role in a film. And and if he's on the set of Predator with Joel Silver talking about this, and and there and Joel Silver's managed to get all his pals involved to make this happen, it's such a an achievement, really. And it's such a shame that this film. I mean, while it, I think from what I read, it, it didn't do badly at the box office, but I think it was one of those that it just didn't do enough to to warrant doing much more. And it's such a shame because watching it now it ticks so many boxes and it does so much better than than really it's remembered for. And I think that there should be a campaign to get this back in theatres or something because it's such a, it's an enjoyable film and it does everything. It's got all the cliches, it's got all the parodies, but it's all there and it's fun and it's really enjoyable and, and he carries it so well. Yeah, he really does. And I think that I would imagine Joel Silva was just captivated by him because like I said, they came up with the idea while making Predator, and I found this great old interview from a newspaper, because Carl Weathers promoted the hell out of this movie. He, I, I read like a million interviews. He was on SNL the week it came out. Like This was his big thing. And Joel Silver loved Carl Weathers so much while ma- they're making Predator. He's like, let's make a movie. What do you, you want to do, Carl Weathers? And Carl was like, I want to make a sequel to Othello. <laughs> and Joel Silver was like, hey, how about a cop movie? And Carl's like, okay. <laughs> and Carl came up with the name Action Jackson, and they got somebody to write it, and they went from the name to it being in theaters in 18 months. Wow. Which is that's, like that's a some crazy turnaround. Sway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> serious. You get the, once you get the Joel Silver like juice behind you, man, you just move, I guess. But... Yeah, that's, that's a really fast turnaround. And we really, have, really haven't said what the movie's about. Do you want to give a brief synopsis? Um, yeah, so essentially Action Jackson is, um, he, he's, I suppose, when, when you look at the classic movie trailers, he is the archetypal renegade cop who's been uh, demoted from lieutenant to sergeant for excessive violence towards the son of, uh, of Craig T. Nelson, who's the, the villain of the film. And uh, and he's like a, a local because this is set in Detroit, so of course he's a a big car magnate, and he's um yeah he's, he's a wrong one from the start. There's lots of union workers being killed by some really excessive violence, which of course is a great way to start any film. It's a bit like Lethal Weapon in that way, the way yes, that it, it starts with a death, and um and yeah, just this kind of they already hate each other for reasons that we don't need to go too far into, except he. Not break his son's arms or something. His like, son was a, let, some yeah. kind of sexual deviant, he says. And when he was arresting him, he broke his arm. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so th- there is a backstory between these two that I guess if this was made now, they'd have two or three prequel movies about. But you know, we <laughs> we go straight into it, and they hate each other because of this history. And Action Jackson has been put on a desk job by Bill Duke because Bill Duke is brilliant and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he downplays it as well. You know, Bill Duke, we remember from Commando and, and Predator as well. And, you know, he's this kind of all, you know, sat behind the desk for sort of by the book to start with. And this this whole sort of body count all over the place. And everyone knows of Action Jackson. He's got this reputation that this young kid is told this story by Biff and his colleague in the cop car when Biff. he gets lifted. And um, so I'll just call him Biff. And That's fine. He, um, you know, they tell him these stories, and when he lands on his desk, he's an action Jackson, and he faints. And there's all these. I think there's a two or three comings together throughout the movie. 
because Action Jackson's reputation as a man of violence goes before him. But he really is a smooth guy. And uh, yeah, his quest throughout the film to both catch this um, this guy, Delaplane, and then to get his lieutenant stripes back. It's a, They cram a lot into, what is it, 94 minutes? Yeah, it's a, very, it's, a, it's a brisk film, yeah. I do, he is a renegade cop, but I feel he's different than like Cobra because... Yeah. Or like Axel Foley, because like Axon Jackson, Axon Jackson's like a law student. Like he's like super smart and well educated and into the fine arts and will break your arm. <laughs> it's a good, it's good, you know, best of both worlds. I do like Craig T. Nelson playing the Detroit version of um what's his DeLorean. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that's that's intentional. Like the name is so similar to DeLorean. I feel like that had to be had to be uh planned there but he's yeah. he's a great shit he's a great shit heel bastard in this movie just chewing the scenery and 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 just although his boner joke really early on puts me off <laughs> <laughs> i mean the, the, he really brings the sleaze to that that i think you need in a film of that era um if he just comes out with some sort of dirty one-liners and and he's a bit villainous, but he needs to have the sleaze in there as well. And the whole affair with with vanity throughout that kind of shows that, you know, he's not just evil. He's also an awful person for sexual reasons as well. And it's, it just ticks a lot of boxes. It's, um, yeah, it, it really comes out well in that. And I mean, the action scenes that we see towards the end with his fighting is both comical and brilliant at the same time. Yeah, I, I, he is such a great like every villain. He is a evil capitalist, corporate bastard, two timing, drug dealing, murderer, racist who has a black girlfriend, <laughs> whose son is, is he, a pedophile. Like they, that's yeah. the, got all the boxes, and like I said, Craig T. Nelson just plays it with such like from the second you see him, like that's the bad guy. <laughs> like there's no he just plays a complete prick so well and yeah yeah he didn't do that a lot he was usually a good guy you know this coach <laughs> did you have coach in the uk um no we didn't or, or if you're lucky if it's a bad show yeah I, I i was aware of it from from before this but it was something that never never or if it did make its way here it was one of those kind of three o'clock in the morning jobs. I mean, the, our TV scheduling here is dreadful. They get, I think when Seinfeld and Larry Sanders were first on, they were put in the graveyard slots as well. But, um, I mean, he was just such a, like you say, he was a prick. He was, yeah. they took the best parts of a lot of the villains of the era and he really pulled it off. And, and obviously looking at it now as an eighties capitalist, pig that's what he yeah. was and he was really really good yeah he's really really good at it and you already mentioned vanity because vanity kind of plays his other woman uh like wannabe motown singer which is hilarious because in real life he wasn't a motown singer we've talked i've talked about vanity relatively recently because i just did an episode on the last dragon and have you ever, have you seen the last dragon no, no i haven't no. oh that's a good movie uh <laughs> but i have seen Four, three movies with Vanity, and she's always good. Like she's, she had really. She, she passed away a few years ago. Also, she had uh, drug issues for most of her adult life, and then when she cleaned up, it was a bit too late, I think. But mm. she, 
she can play cocky. She can play scared. She can play like, you know, obviously sexy. And in a few of the movies, he's good in action roles too. I, I, Vanity was a great actress. And I think she got nominated for a Razzie for this movie, which is complete bullshit. Oh, that's a shame. That's terrible. Yeah. I yeah. mean, she, she was a good, interesting evolution of, say, Apollonia from Purple Rain. Um, they, they took a lot of what she did and, and put it into an action film, which in, in this context, it worked because she wasn't just a damsel in distress. She was also a heroin addict and a sex addict and clearly along to kind of, there was a little bit of comical exposition in there as well as um, as he was fighting Sonny Landham towards the end. You know, she was going, oh, you didn't want to do that. It was terrible, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. It was almost like she was sitting there in the cinema watching this, shouting it out and making it onto the screen. I mean, she she did bring a, a presence there. And I think the the chemistry between her and, and Action Jackson obviously evolved towards the end. And I mean, the line that they used at the end, I won't spoil it just yet, but it was playing on both heroin addiction and pure sex. It's um, <laughs> It's a bold move. That, well, that heroin addiction and pure sex, that's kind of vanity. Like, okay. <laughs> not just in the movie and in real life also. I, I have made this joke in another podcast. Vanity was the, you know, was the original Apollonia. Like, she she got fired or broke up with Prince, depending on who you talk to, and they replaced her with Apollonia. And my favorite thing about Vanity is that after she left Prince, her songs got dirtier, which... You can't say that about anybody else. It's usually the opposite. Like you look at Sheena Easton. Sheena Easton went from Morning Train to Sugar Walls, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Vanity went from Sex Shooter, which is already pretty, you know, ribald, to Pretty Mess, of which the chorus is, he made such a pretty mess all over my dress. Yeah. <laughs> Classy. Classy, yeah, classy. Mm. But she's one of two women in in Dela Delaplane's life. She's the other woman who's who's who is Delaplane cheating on? Like oh, Sharon's nineteen eighty eight Sharon Stone. It's that's just... like that's like when Hugh Grant cheated on Elizabeth Hurley. <laughs> <laughs> well, the weird thing is, is that she obviously we, when we're introduced to her. We, we don't know initially she's Delaplane's wife until she's called out on the stage when she meets Action Jackson. And, and she initially plays it like the basic instinct, total recall Sharon Stone, this, you know, absolute confidence in her sexuality. And yet by the end of it, or say by the end of it, by the end of her time in the film. She's not in she, it very long, no. <laughs> no, and she becomes, you know, she's worried, there's a fear in her. She's She's quite... Like she she withdraws within herself. It's almost like in the course of what forty five minutes, she learns what an asshole her husband is, and suddenly becomes very concerned and very much a do gooding citizen. And it's a strange thing because you don't often see that with Sharon Stone. Um, no, and it's it's fun. Yeah, she. This is kind of the beginning of the prime of her career. Mm. I think her. She was in a, a movie called Deadly Blessing, which is a horror film where she eats a spider. Like that's like the, the famous scene in that movie. Like it's a real spider, I think, and they put it in a mouth. It's gross. And she was the other woman in irrecon- irreconcilable differences, and that was in '84. And then she's in Police Academy Seven, Police Academy oh, Four. Yeah, you know, cl- classics. Uh, but then it was this, 
and above the law. And then she posed in Playboy, and that was a huge deal. And then Total Recall, and then Basic Instinct. Like, mm. this is the rise. This is the beginning of her rise. And yeah, she's not in this movie much. It's not the best role, but she is good in it. Like, she has range, for sure. Yeah, that, that, the introduction is what you expect Sharon Stone to be when she walks out onto that stage. Is it the very wonderfully titled Man of the Year Award? <laughs> and, um, you know, she struts out with a backless dress and it's fantastic. And then by the end of it, she's a, a, a wife in fear of her safety from Craty Nelson. And it's, um, I mean, she, she plays it well because, you know, she, she loses the swagger and she gets, you know, a, a moral compass. But obviously for, for her, it's far too late. And uh, the, the way she's dispatched Ugh. by the husband, it's so callous and it's just awful. Yeah, and creepy, and I remember, like, I like I, I watched this movie a lot, I would say, from the ages of 8 to 12, <laughs> and then I didn't watch it again until about three years ago, hmm. and from beginning to end, I probably, I probably saw it on HBO or something in the, in the interim, but I, all, I never forgot the shot of her hands going down Craig T. Nelson's back, and the gun is there, yeah. and then it go, her hands go down his back again, and the gun is gone, and... You're like, oh well, that's yeah. Well, bye. <laughs> then, <laughs> he he murders her in cold blood while he says, "I love you." Kisses her, I think, after she's dead, or like, yep. yeah, because classy. And then has his bodyguards, just you know, his butler, uh, just dispose of it. The the, the bald evil Jeeves. <laughs> I, I've never I've never seen Jeeves and Wooster, but I don't think that happens in it, right? I'm, I'm um, I think that was one of the deleted scenes. But um, yeah, but I mean, in this, like, then they they strip her naked and frame Carl Weathers for the murder. It's, yeah. um, I mean, it's one of those that, yeah, it's awful. I mean, it, it, if you needed any further excuse to hate the guy. do like then so then Carl Weathers figures out that I forgot how how does he figure out that Vanity's there oh from from his um from his friend who's killed right I think yeah yeah yes his friend who's killed also in a big Beverly Hills cop I feel yeah it's not a subtle <laughs> lift of Beverly Hills cop is it from the Detroit no, the, to the to the music to any of it yeah the, yeah I, I mentioned this in, in our notes that I sent but yeah this movie has Detroit like Beverly Hills cop the best friend is murdered, like Beverly Hills Cop. You got the the cop on the edge who's outrunning the captain, and the theme song is a Pointer Sister song. <laughs> I mean, a good song too. I love that song. But mm. but this movie, the beginning of Beverly Hills Cop, at least a few scenes, I think, are shot in Detroit. There's not a single frame. Like there's some there's some. I grew up an hour from Detroit. Okay, okay. in in Toledo, Ohio. You can't make LA look like Detroit. <laughs> you just that'll be like making what what's a good that'll be making Sheffield look like Soho. Yeah, yeah. I it's it's difficult and and again I I've not been to Detroit but um 
that, but then part of me kind of twigged, and again, this is probably the benefit of not knowing the area, is when the scene where they go to the factory where the the, the rocket launcher, the classic barbecue yes. scene, um, that looked to my untrained eye like the um, in Robocop when they went to the factory there. And it, now, you know, just for that half second, I thought, is that the same place? No, that's funny. So I know this also because that scene in Robocop is not filmed in Detroit. That is right. filmed outside of Pittsburgh because I also live in Pittsburgh <laughs> okay. for about 10 years. Well, they're all close. Like Detroit, you can get from Detroit to Pittsburgh in like four and a half hours. It's, 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 okay. it's all the rust belt. But yeah. uh, that part of Pittsburgh, that's an area of Pittsburgh called Braddock. Braddock is kind of infamous for being an industrial wasteland. So if you need a good one, that's what, where, yeah. where Hollywood right. would go. So it's not the same place. But yeah, like I would see like in the opening shots, like that's Detroit, that's Detroit. Then the second you see Biff, that's L.A. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much L.A. But, you know, it, it can't hold it. I'm not going to hold it against me that much. It's fine. It I, is what it I is. think with, with the cast that you've got, and obviously Joel Silver and Carl Weathers and, and the producer have, have pulled favors. They've got a lot of um, a lot of the cast, you know, particularly the ones that we know. They've obviously they were available for a day or two. If that, I think Sonny Landon probably seen, did his scene in about 45 minutes. And yes. you're not going to get all these guys to fly on location or wherever. You know, if you're in LA, they go, right, well, we can do Tuesday morning. And that's how they do it. And I think having, you know, you've got that supporting cast and you've got to make it available. And I think, um, it, I guess, you know, that, that that's how it works. And I think in, in 1988, you're not going to have the scope to do all that stuff. You think if you can get a couple of second unit or location shots in Detroit, and then do the rest of it on interiors or, or local parts of LA where people might not recognize quite so much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the benefit of hindsight is looking back. I mean, I don't know, again, not being to Detroit, but the, I mean, the cab scene is just an absolute pinnacle of cinema. And that was probably yeah. filmed on the back lot of a, of a studio in Hollywood. Yeah. So there's the that guy named Bob Miner plays mm. this hitman named Gamble who, he he reminds me of the hitman in the Untouchables. Yeah, yeah. Because he just has this energy about him, of like he's 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 just a thug. He doesn't really have any lines, but just his look is so memorable that he becomes a a main villain just by being such such a good, like the alpha of the thugs. <laughs> but there, there's an interesting angle to that as well in that part of the the final scene and and the framing of the the murder there is that and Craig T Nelson outs himself as not everything else he's a complete and utter racist because he's going to dress gamble as action jackson and then says the line you all look the same anyway yeah and it's just like so he's a he's a murderer he's evil he cheats on his wife he kills his wife all this he's also a racist because He's gonna because the guys look, you know, the guys are black and they have a mustache, therefore they look the same. And it's yeah. just kind of like just just to get that cherry on the cake. But um, yeah, yeah, awful. He's the he's the wealthy, rich, white man who has a black mistress. He's like a Republican senator. <laughs> like, Timeless like, villain. That's Strom Thurmond. That's Strom Thurmond. Um, I forgot. That maybe he's dead. Oh yeah, I think it was him. Yeah, okay. racist like. The, the biggest holdout against the Equal Rights Act, 
had a African American mistress. Mm. So, yes, yeah, that's that's on point. We didn't forget one other goon, like going back to to Delaplane and his, and, and also this the amazing cast in this movie. One of the goons is Al Young. Oh yeah, a vintage goon. Vintage goon. He's in Lethal Weapon. He's he's that Asian dude with the awesome facial hair. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, is that um, a friend of mine wrote a book about all the um, the villains of eighties and nineties cinema, and oh, he cool. actually spoke and he spoke to Al Young and all these films he's in, you know, and and I mean he was in Bill and Ted, he was in Lethal, he was in Die Hard. You know, he's Kingus Khan. He's Kingus Khan in Bill and Ted. Exactly, yeah, yeah. He's all the, he played, he's in so many, and he's always got this kind of smirk, and he's just pig villain. He's so great and. You know, again, you know, we think, I think this, this movie come out before Die Hard, probably. Um, it was 88. Seven. 88. Oh, they're both 88. Yeah. So, okay. Action so, Jackson, so, yeah. I think they're both 88. It's, it's yeah. so hard. It, it's back to, it, it's very close to good. Let me see. Oh, yeah. no, wait, I'm sorry. Lethal Weapon's 87. Mm-hmm. Die Hard is 88. And Action Jackson is also 88. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I'm going to. Axe and Jackson came out relatively early in the year. It came out in February. So probably Axe okay. and Jackson came out first. Yeah, because then, you know, you've got this, you know, from Die Hard, you know, everyone associates Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, but you've got Al Young, you've got Devereux White, you've got Dennis Hayden, who was the, who was it Eddie? I think he was the security guard Yeah, um, at the desk at the Nakatomi. And, and he was the, the recipient of the ribs line at the end. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> so brilliant just seeing all these guys you know i mean that the the assassins that they use for the the hit so stupid i mean they're like i mean the editing of this film i don't know whether to think it's brilliant or dreadful but it makes them like they're like ninjas but they're just thugs they are like the the villains from die hard the gang and yeah, the very way they, similar. The, the hair and and the way they look but the, it's just so I hate to use the word so bad it's good, but and and maybe I shouldn't have laughed as much as I did during this film, but I, it was a laugh, laughter of love because it was so fun. And the way it was put together, the, the ninja guys and the way that they set off this, you know, was it the second kill, the guy on the boat? Yeah, and, the second. <laughs> you know, so they, they, they handcuff a bomb to him and then I think the bomb goes off within nine seconds and yet they're already sort of, Two three hundred yards away on a on a rubber boat. Yeah, but, um, you know, it was a fast boat club, but it was just so amazingly entertaining, and yeah. seeing all these guys. And I love, I love when you watch a movie of that era, and you kind of, you might get it once or twice, and ah, oh, I know him from whatever movie. Here, you've got that a dozen times. It's perfect. Yeah. It, it, so many people, not just the thugs, also like this movie has Tina Williams in it, and. Mm. I loved. If you don't know who that is, Tina Williams. He talks like this. He's oh, he's brilliant. in Weird Science. He's in Roadhouse. He has one scene in Roadhouse. Apparently, he's in three Rocky films. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. He's in House Party. He was also security guard, like for the movies. Oh, he was the he was the truck driver in Terminator. Yes, he's a truck driver in Terminator. One, oh wow! Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's great, yeah. and he has. Seeing him in the movie just makes me happy. I, I love it whenever I see him. And he, this little characters like that just adds so much to the movie. And they make it fun, but it is a strange movie because it is almost like 
like Beverly Hills Cop is like 80% comedy and 20% action, right? Mm, I would yeah. say. And this is like 40-60 action to comedy. Well, 40-60 comedy to action. It's mostly an action film. But it still has such this strange tone with some pretty abhorrent violence that like peop- the critics didn't know what to make of it at the time. And I, I do feel like maybe it was rewritten too much. Yeah, the, the, I mean, some of the, I mean, I, I read some of the trivia around this film and, and it was kind of lumped in weirdly with I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, which is a very different movie and yet they're kind of put <laughs> together as almost a revival of black exploitation, And yet this, seem, this seems more like a kind of, I wouldn't say a, an attempt to make a, a, a spin-off genre of the 80s action film, but it takes so much of it, and obviously they're they're looking at making Carl Weathers a list. And oh yeah, to- like this is a, this is a star making yeah. role, like, and that's why yeah. he was on SNL. He did all the interviews, you know. I and- mean, this is a vehicle for him, and and it's he's great, and I think that it's almost like it's hard to say whether it's the sum of its parts or not, but you can see why it didn't get him to a list, and yet it's so entertaining, and it's so good. I, yeah. that's just me. <laughs> well, I think he he and Vanity and this the cast as a whole really carry the movie, I feel. Yeah. Because the script isn't great. The script was written by a guy named Robert Renault. He wrote two films, this and Demolition Man. Okay. Good cast. So, good CV. Good <laughs> go out on top. And that's it. And like some TV. And but like some parts of the film like just straight up don't make sense. Like the we go to an informant remember at the pool hall and tell people the pool hall scene because I just yeah what can you describe that I mean he he's gone there on um is it Kid Sable who's who runs a hotel has told him that there's an informant there who'll tell him what he needs to know and he goes there and you've got and it's um oh, I didn't write the the actor's name the guy who plays Henriquez in Commando the uh, that's who that the, is thank you I couldn't yeah. place the face yes that's the dude who's dead tired yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and he's the he's the bartender at the pool hall and then they take him he takes him into the back and he says open the cupboard and he just shows him a jar with some guy's balls in it and it's like look it's almost like what do you mean you don't get the joke it's the guy's it's clearly the guy's bollocks in the bar in the jar. And then he has this scene. <laughs> then they get sort of taken off and beaten up by just obvious punks. And and again, they make reference to cutting the informant's balls off. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it, again, it's that kind of, like you said, the way that the comedy and the action go together, it's it's like they've taken, and, and there was an old you know episode of um, South Park where they ripped off Family Guy saying about how they made the jokes, they could just get them, random and shove them together and it seems like they had these jokes or someone had written these lines and then they had to put them in somehow whether it's to get the guy credit or whatever and there's obviously a reason why they've put them together but it doesn't make sense it still <laughs> it still works in an odd way i mean this this isn't high comedy act i mean this isn't this is why probably it's not a diehard it's not a predator because it it they don't hit perfectly but they no, still it's a little, they still work just yeah it's a little off in some scenes and then like well i do like the part well he i forgot why he goes down there because kid sable doesn't tell him to go down there because when action jackson comes back 
He's like, what happened to you? It's like, I went to go see Doc. It's like, his balls are cut off in a cupboard. Like, I, I could have told you that. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, exactly. He, he sent him down there to speak to him, and then he already knows his balls are gone. It's like, <laughs> it's and then, really weird. And then he goes, sees, he goes to see D, the hairdresser, who very conveniently explains the plot to him. Oh, she's amazing. <laughs> Exposition haircutting. It's, and all this just like, <laughs> and it's all done like as a, it's a performance. It's like a stand-up. The way she's delivering this anecdote, but she's basically describing the whole plot of the film and everything <laughs> he needs to know in a comedy way. And yet she also fancies him because she's clearly got the hots for him. Well, it's and called it's fucking done, Weathers, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've got the hots for him. And it's... No. And it is this kind of... I mean, she's in there for... I mean, it's comic relief. It's exposition. It's to... to bring him up to speed and it's all while he's got a nice towel in his face and he's turned it up to a hundred and it's just such a it doesn't make again doesn't make sense yeah it's brilliant it's one step away from the scene in space balls where they watch the movie (laughs) (laughs) right like oh yeah it's pretty close to that because there's no way she would know this there's no reason that anyone would know she would know this but just go see D, the snitch hairdresser, and see we'll deliver uh, exposition in a delightfully and using the word D like every five seconds, the letter D, all the time. That's a trademark. Yeah. That's her thing, man. Yeah, I forgot the name of the actress. She had she has passed away a few years ago, unfortunately, too. Is that, I wrote this down. Armelia McQueen. She was in Ghost. Oh yeah, she's um, Ola May's sister. Yeah, yeah. In Ghost, yes, she's great. Like there's so many like little small roles that are just so good in this, like. Like when he Vanity's bodyguard, yeah, Ed. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, I, you know, I'm a big dude. I'm not that big, but I'm big, and mm. I'm taller than Ed. <laughs> but um, I loved Ed as a kid. And there's a scene when he when he rescues rescues Carl Weathers for no reason. He just says, "Hello, I'm Mr. Ed." <laughs> right. I see. I saw that, and I kind of thought maybe in there there was this weird loyalty where his loyalty was to um to vanity oh yeah because that yeah. was what he was paid to do and that was why he was doing it and even though it was you know he, he he was being paid to look after her and i suppose by by looking after action that was it but off you know they're they're coming together in in the dressing room of the club where it was just you know action was you want to hit me you want to throw me down the hall now don't you and it was just such a kind of the playfulness between them and yeah. you know, he said, I, I want to, but it offends my Muslim sensibilities or whatever it was. <laughs> Muslim beliefs, was, yes. And it was kind of just, and then action just throws him through the door anyway. But their partnership was kind of this awkward coming together that yeah. we don't we don't need a reason why. It just works. It brings it just the works. film along. He doesn't need to say, he doesn't need to quote Mr. Ed the TV show, but it worked. And my brother and I would say that to each other during our, when we would fight. <laughs> that became like a neighborhood tagline from watching this movie. Cause I, I don't know why. I, I love Mr. I loved Mr. Ed, the, the character, not the not 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 the TV show. I love Ed yeah. in this movie. The horse, not a big fan. That dude is named Prince A. Hughes. He didn't do a ton of big work, but I want to name off. These are, these are character names in other movies: Bouncer, Big Bubba, Fat Johnny, Fat Ernie, Bubba Kincaid, Tiny, and Jumbo. And uh, Idi Amin as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when when did he play Idi Amin? 
Uh, it was in the, I think it was the first Naked Gun movie. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think it was, the, it was, I'm trying to remember that. It, I think it was the scene where Frank Drebin infiltrates a, meet, a meeting of it and had uh, Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin, Gorbachev, um, Yasser Arafat or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that. I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's good stuff. You control my desire. Undress your love, baby, take me higher. Kiss me. Baby, undress me. Can you kiss me? Baby, undress. I do want to mention a couple other people behind the scenes, though, because they're also why this. I, I I still think primarily this movie works because of the cast. Yeah, but definitely. The director is a guy named Craig R. Baxley, who hasn't done much really before or since this, but he was a stuntman and a stunt coordinator, and it shows. Hmm. So this movie, yeah, has spectac- yeah. He was I, the I stunt. Think... Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say they. Because the stunts in this film, they, I mean, where where Action Jackson and Vanity jump out the window into the car or the the, the shell of the car below them, it's clearly done. This it's, it's isn't the kind of way that um, Hal Needham did the Cannibal Run, you know, that famous stunt guy doing all those. Yeah, and yeah. and it was, and and yet because of the weird way, and I, I put some of this on the editing as well, like the scene where Action jumps over the cab as it's coming towards him. It's so badly done, it's funny. And yet you'd think if he was a stuntman directing it, he'd want it to look a bit more realistic. But then I guess half of the direction is it has to look unbelievable because he just somersaulted over a cab. Yeah, but when he's holding onto the cab and the cars are exploding behind him, that looks pretty good. And That was amazing because that was like something out of The Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it was. But I think this guy, he worked on a lot of stuff. He was on he was he did the stunts for Rollerball, which is a crazy movie in terms mm. of stunt work. And the, the original Rollerball. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, the, in my mind there is another there's not another film called Rollerball. Okay. Is, yeah, okay. There yeah, that's that, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> and then he moved into directing and he hasn't done many good films, unfortunately. He did Sniper Two. And a lot of Stephen King miniseries and Left Behind 3, the Kristen uh, uh, Rapture film series with with, with uh, Kurt Cameron. So, you know, hey, it pays the bills. Yeah. <laughs> Can't. True. Can't fault it. But And also, <laughs> one, two, a couple more behind-the-scenes things. I love that Vanity has one dance scene, and that's choreographed by Paul Abdul. Yeah, again, another 80s movie classic from, um, I guess this would have been... I, I'm not a big fo- sort of follower of her music career, but I mean, she did the choreography for The Running Man as well, didn't she? So, you know, that's again in that kind of era. Yeah, she was where, a dancer first, singer second. So, yeah, yeah, and again, sort of, you know, The Running Man. I don't think there was a lot of crossover there with The Running Man to this, which is one of rare thing. But um, yeah, yeah do, doing that and and oh, she did Coming to America as well, didn't she? That was yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Running Man's a great movie. I I want to oh. watch. Oh, yes. my boyfriend Wonderful. hasn't seen it yet but I, I have i have inundated during the lockdown we watched a lot of game shows and right. <laughs> so he's seen a lot of a lot of a lot of family feud did you get family feud the, the richard dawson family feud i know you have i know it's a uk version 
yeah, we, we, we have the UK version. And, and I think that's the thing is that in our, the, the host from certainly the same era here was uh, a popular sort of stand-up comedian, light entertainer. So I'm not sure, trying to imagine him as a Bob, Bob Monkhouse was his name and trying to imagine him as a villain in a, in a big Hollywood film would have been very strange. Was, so was, I wonder was, how it must have been received. Was he always one step away from being completely shit-faced on the show? Um, no, thankfully. Oh, he was too bad. Not, not the same energy. Guy, yeah. <laughs> 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 Richard Dawson always looked fucking three seats to the wind. Oh, on... yeah, we have plenty of those. Yeah, yeah well, he's, he is British, so, you know. True. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and another weird credit here is the music is by two, two composers. One is Michael Kamen, who's done, like, a bagillion scores. Great, great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and then the other is Herbie, Herbie fucking Hancock. Now, I know that name, and I'm trying okay. to remember. Yeah. Do you know the song Rocket? Right. Okay. He, Herbie Hancock was a jazz musician. He played with Miles Davis, I believe. And in the 80s, he got into electro. And I know his songs were. He. he the song Rocket was a huge hit everywhere, including the UK. Uh, Japanese TV is showing old episodes of The Tube. Okay. The British, the British music yeah. show. And I, I saw the one of Herbie Hancock. So I know he was, that, he was there. Um, Herbie Hancock was a major, major music figure in the 80s uh, mm. in terms of like he brought, he was the first African-American artist to have a hit on MTV before Michael Jackson. Right, okay. Yeah, he was a, a big deal. And he did a few scores. He, does a score, he did the score to Death Wish. <laughs> Um, you know, different kind of film. Uh, yeah. And, if, and he, he won an Oscar for a film called Round Midnight, and then he did a couple other movies after Action Jackson. But he had he kind of went back to being a full time like songwriter after this. And like Herbie Hancock has done like eight million different things. <laughs> he's he's a very interesting guy. I, I I like his music. I like his '80s output a lot. His other stuff is more ja- like pure jazz. That's not my not my style, but. I like the scornness. It kind of has like a. It's not super. Unfortunately, there's not a good theme. I don't think there's no there's no Axel F. No, and I think that's the issue. Because um, I, I mean, the one time I did mention the score was the the fight between Carl Weathers and Craig T. Nelson at the end, and the score kicks in, and it gets it has a real sort of change in tone, and it's I think it's trying to become that iconic kind of thing, and but then when you think about you know again the throwback we said about Michael Kamen. I mean, he did the score for Die Hard. Um, yeah. He also did the score for License to Kill, where Robert oh, okay. Daddy was the villain there. And, oh, I um, forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, again, if we're going into then, the, this guy also did the score to a Bond film, so just the year after this. So this was clearly, he was clearly in the sort of a hot part of his career. And, um, yeah, it's, um, th- th- there are so many good parts to this film, and and... Maybe they just didn't gel together quite enough to make it that A-list. But I think this, watching it again, how did this not get more love on the circuit? I don't know. Yeah, because it did. It did decent. So yeah, I it, it opened. It, it came out uh, President's Day weekend, which I'm going to tell you, not a big holiday. <laughs> just, <Right>. just <laughs> FYI, uh, and it came out in February. Even back then, February is not like the prime action time for movies, but. It it cost seven million dollars to make, which is nothing. It made sixty five million. It, it opened mm. at number three, behind uh, Good Morning Vietnam in its eighth week, and Shoot to Kill at the same week. Shoot to Kill is an amazing movie. 
see, that's the thing. I, I looked at that chart that you, you sent over, and I, I didn't. I've never seen Shoot to Kill. And Shoot I to think, Kill's um, hard to find. Okay. Uh, I think it's by Robert Spotterswood. Um, so he did a Bond film. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. it stars Tom Baron. I just talked about this in another episode. It stars Tom Berenger and Sidney Poitier. And I think it was Sidney Poitier's first film in a decade as an actor. Wow. Oh, okay. And it's kind of a more serious lethal weapon dynamic. It also has Kirstie Alley. And there are, Tom Barron is a woodsman and an FBI agent has to go to the woods to find a serial killer who's kidnapped Christy Alley. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's a great movie. Uh, okay. It's been out of print forever. I do not know why. The second it is in print and I can watch it, I'm going to do an episode about it. Because I'll be honest, I'm not sure if this is going to work on your podcast, but I've just looked and it's available on Amazon from DVD that I can have within DVD, 24 I, hours. I'm yeah. holding out for a Blu-ray. Oh, want... I tell you what, it's called, it's called something else over here now. It's called Deadly really? Pursuit. Really? Huh. Yeah. They traded one generic name for another. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure why Shoot to Kill... The, was it too simple for the UK? Maybe. But, I don't yeah, know. I, could... I do know Axon Jackson did beat out Three Men and a Baby in its 12th week. <laughs> wow. By, I mean, that's, that is a vintage th- chart. Yeah. yeah I, the, to, to, the, to, my, to my audience, listen to your episode of the your other podcast to talk about Three Men and a Baby. Because... <laughs> That is a very funny episode of your podcast. Oh, thank I, you. I want yeah. to say because uh, that movie is terrible. <laughs> it's yeah, and and again, we're at that time of our lives now where they're looking to remake it. So of course, oh, but, God. Um, but yeah. yeah, the rest of the top ten: Moonstruck, Serpent in the Rainbow, She's Having a Baby, Satisfaction, the completely forgotten Justine Bateman Julia Roberts film, mm, something yeah. called Iron Weed, and then School Days. And this is interesting because when I was reading articles about Axon Jackson, some people in Hollywood said you can't release Axon Jackson the same week as School Days. It's a two black movies. Oh, because you're only allowed one at a time, of course. Yes, mm. that, yes. But I'm not. I'm not condoning that statement, but I think that's fucked up. I'm just saying, yeah. like that was the. Those are, you could not have two more different films. Well, yeah, because I mean, I, I, I haven't seen it. I, I'm aware of it, and they're they're not competing in any way. No, no. One is a serious comedic drama about, you know, life at an African-American university, and the other is Action Jackson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think Action Jackson did well, and, and critics, some critics hated it. Like, Ebert hated it. Siskel gave it two and a half stars. <laughs> but a lot of them were like, like what we've said. Like, it has moments, but I think what we've kind of looked past the faults and think it's fun. But... They can't see it that way, and they they just saw all the problems. And yeah, I think with the benefit again of hindsight, you're looking back at an era when you know the the action film was at its absolute peak. Oh god, in, yeah. in 1988, and and this because it's not as good as Predator, Lethal Weapon, and and Die, Die Hard, Hard came yeah. out a few months later. You know, we're in that era where because it's not that good, and because it doesn't work that well, it's clearly not gonna a but then this over here anyway you talk to a lot of people they're aware of the film and they may have seen it you know in video in the late 80s early 90s and yet now looking back at it this feels like it 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 should be remembered a little bit more i mean it's hardly ever on tv here um I, i got a copy from from itunes but it was 
so enjoyable looking back. And again, I'm obviously completely biased because I'm in love with with that <laughs> era of films. Yes, you and, are. Yeah, and, and again, you know, Carl Weathers, but that cast and everything about it, it's it deserves so much more attention. And and the fact that it did pretty well financially, um, you know, where money talks, it is a surprise that they didn't. And I know that some there was another Carl Weathers film that they marketed in some areas as action jackson too yeah yeah so um, well one of the theories why this never got a sequel and this was made by a studio called lorimar they produced it and i know a lot about them because i just did another movie about uh, that they made um they got bought by warner right after this so okay sometimes if the movie wasn't if the movie would have made 200 million dollars warner would have made it work but yeah they got bought right after that. Probably just was not on Warner's a much bigger studio than Lorimar. And it probably just wasn't even on their radar, unfortunately. So, and that's a bummer because I don't think Carl Weathers really did anything great after this in film and, and, and TV. He does a lot and Mandalorian, of course. Yeah. But I feel like this is really his last really big mainstream starring role. Yeah, because I think a lot of what he did afterwards was very much supporting, and and even then, you know, Happy Gilmore was. I mean, he's one funny that, in Happy Gilmore. Yeah, like, and I mean, I, I I noticed you sort of suggested Toy Story Four, which I haven't seen. Me neither, um, but he's in that. But, yeah, he plays yeah. Combat Carl. Oh well, oh, there you go. And he's in all these, like. Uh, the guy who makes Law and Order may, ha, has all this, this, this other series because Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, and Chicago Justice, and he's been in all three of those. So okay. got the hat trick there. <laughs> <laughs> are those um, those are those yeah. are American procedurals big in the UK? Um, I, I won't say they're big, but they are on various sort of satellite TV channels. Um, Chicago Fire, I know, has been on uh, one of the bigger ones. Um, I mean, they, they all get an airing here somewhere. They, um, well, I say all, but th- there are a lot of them on UK TV. But uh, I didn't realize Carl Weathers was in it. I think, to be honest, obviously, because I haven't seen Toy Story 4, when, when his casting for The Mandalorian was announced, it was kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't realize he was still working. Yeah. Which says a lot, really. Yeah, unfortunately, you know. I, I do yeah. feel, also, I feel like if the, if he was in the late 80s, if he was a white actor who had a a medium level hit like Axe and Jackson, he would have got more work. Yeah. I, there, there is part of that there that you kind of, you can't, when, when you read about and hear about some of the things and, and the attitudes that were prevalent there and, and then, and, and probably still are to, to some extent, but um, you, you do wonder that, you know, he's been in some huge movies and yeah. been very, you know, a lot of people know who he is. And yet, you know, after this, really, from from the end of the eighties, he's kind of dropped off the radar completely. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's just, it's just strange. But I was going to ask you, and I'm sorry to keep saying in the UK this question, but <laughs> how does a movie like this play in like this is a, in my opinion, there are some action movies are more quote unquote American than others, and like like Beverly Hills Cop is is very American. You know, and I feel like maybe something like Die Hard really isn't, you know, it's kind of that's why it plays so well everywhere. But I feel like if you're going to make a movie about a black cop in Detroit, 
fighting a car dealer. <laughs> does like does does I mean I I don't I didn't look up the UK box office for this movie. Did it did it make any? Does any people in England know this movie at all? Speaking for your people. <laughs> Um, I, I think, and again, maybe this is the, the state of my, my friends and, and the people I know. I think a lot of people know of the film. And I think because, it, I mean, the title is quite distinctive and it's the kind of thing that people, people will say Action Jackson, a phrase. And I know I, I saw something that it was, a, was it an Australian guy on the set of Predator came up with the title or suggested no, it? No, Carl like Weathers that. did. Carl Weathers did. Oh, or someone said, I'm in like Action Jackson. Maybe, or, yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's something that translates a little bit. And I think it's one of those films that a lot of people know that it exists more than even Shoot to Kill or whatever the, the name, Deadly yeah. Pursuit, whatever. People know Action Jackson more. And I think that it, because it doesn't get shown here an awful lot, and bear in mind some of the films, you know, we get films shown virtually on repeat here, and they are worse action i mean steven seagal is on it bloody every night yeah he, that, channels, that's well i think those are cheaper to get probably yeah but, but um yeah but then again a lot of people then we're talking about people sort of our sort of age will watch this movie and they will sit there and go oh my god it's him oh my god it's him and a lot of the people in this are i say household names and obviously sharon stone is but there are people in here that a lot of people will recognize and and will appreciate seeing, even if they're only in it for a small amount of time. You know, people like Bill Duke and Robert Davi. They're people that they're, they're actors that people recognise. They're, they're, they're household faces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, especially like, when like, they're like, in other films. It's like Dick Miller. Yeah. You know who and Dick Miller is? One, yeah, from the Joe Dante films. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all of his films, and um, <laughs> but they are like that. And I think it would be interesting to see. You know, if if things were slightly different, but I, I think there is a market for this film to get. Yeah, you wonder because there's a lot of those repertory sort of cult cinemas, especially in London, or ones that do the one-off screenings, and and a film like this would get. You know, if they did a, a showing of this, people would come and see it because I think it's that. It is a bit like a B movie, but it's kind of I think if you've seen it, you love it, and I think it just needs a little bit more, but. It is, it is a shame because I, I love it. now it's just so entertaining you seem to really like the ending of the film oh I so mean, tell people ugh. about the ending of the film <laughs> so I let, mean, me, let we, me let me let me oh, get there yeah. first so you know call weathers and vanity are on the run from delaplane who wants his whole plot is to kill people to get control of the union kind of right mm, that's yeah. like long and the short of it doesn't really matter that, that doesn't matter but then they go to delaplane's house to stop him from killing the head of the union. Yeah. At his own and they bring all party. their friends. <laughs> yeah. And then what, so what do you like about it so much? I mean, we've, we've already talked about, so uh, Gamble 
is dressed in Carl Weathers' clothes. Great red shirt. He, yeah, so he's got a he's got a red shirt that everyone seemingly must know it as some kind of uniform. So he's hiding in a tree with a sniper rifle to take out the head of the quote union. unquote hiding. Well, <laughs> hiding <laughs> with all the uh, tree lights around him and. Yeah. Um, Everyone who's anyone is at this party, including most of the Detroit Police Department. And um, so they're going to kill the head of the union at his own birthday party that Delaplane's throwing for him. Um, and you've got the henchman then, because Carl Weathers has foiled this, well, he's not foiled it, he's still dead, isn't he, the, the union, but, but he's caught the sniper. Albeit he's not dead, he's shot but not killed. Oh, he's not killed. Okay. So yeah, he, like he, shot, he, shot. he has a movie. He has a movie sold a wound, which is harmless. Oh, okay, so just just a scratch. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but then Carl Weathers, it all evolves, and like Kid Sable takes out Al Young with his dancing feet, and yeah, that's a brilliant. Um, <laughs> that's great. And and then eventually evolves into Carl Weathers driving one of the the latest Delaplane cars. The through the house, the hate oh, Kaylee after the comet. He's driving this car through the house because the corridors are big enough to get a sports car in and turning, <laughs> doing turns, um, all while um, Delaplane has kidnapped Vanity, who's been held hostage. And he drives through the doors into the bedroom. <laughs> Oh, it's he, he kills the butler and then backs up the, he, like, he runs into the kills the butler yeah. of the car the evil <laughs> jeeves yeah. uh, and then I, I somebody asked me how the car when I'm watching the movie like one of my friends is like you don't see the car turn huh <laughs> like well, it's, you don't need it, to. It, I, I imagine the car turns the same way Daleks go upstairs right <laughs> you, just, you just just don't ask it, it that just question happens. It, it's, it's just like happens. cows they're cows but um and then it's like, and it is because it's like one of those race car beds you get. So it's a red sports car in the bedroom. And then you've got this fight where we've already seen Delaplane is a very handy martial artist because he yes. battered his tutor. And he, and I'm not sure because it kind of lurches between really high-end martial arts fighting and what we call pub fighting, where it looks like <laughs> a series of headbutts and haymakers. Uh, you've got Carl Weathers channeling his Apollo Creed training, um, some real proper boxing going on, and um, just the it ends in a gunfight. Yeah, because you know they've already thrown their guns away, and then they get the guns back, and the the killer shot is delivered. Um, and just the it's just amazing. You've got a car chase in a house of sorts, <laughs> which I don't think I've seen before. I've seen, obviously well, you said so many, so many films of this era have a car or a vehicle basically going into a house, but not driving inside and into a particular room. I would say it's, I have seen that there's the Fast and Furious where they, where they go from building to building in the skyscrapers. Okay, that's pretty, I've, I've not seen any of those. So I'm oh, I like to, those movies. They're fun. They're not, okay. they're, I mean, they're not high art, but I enjoy them. Uh, they're no Action Jackson. Fast and Furious 5 is one of the greatest movies ever made. But the rest of them, they're good. Uh, this, yeah, Fast and Furious Two is definitely no Action Jackson for sure. But I, I do, I the I, I was complimenting the director earlier, but that last fight scene, you can clearly tell it is not Craig T. Nelson. 
Yeah, you can see the it's always behind the shoulder shots. <laughs> and then they're behind the shoulder shot. Because like I remember reading a story like a long time ago, and I don't know if this is true or not. It could be apocryphal, but when they were filming Predator, Schwarzenegger and and Carl Weathers would compete like with weightlifting and athletic stuff, you know, because they're both, you know, mountains of muscle. And yeah. Carl Weathers would always win because Carl Weathers is an athlete. Mm. And Schwarzenegger's a bodybuilder. <laughs> so trying to make Carl Weathers look like he can't beat up, <laughs> you know, Craig T. Nelson is kind of ridiculous. I mean, we've already seen the gratuitous shirtless scene where he was chained up in the factory. And, and again, oh, have we? I mean, that that was glossed over a little bit, you know, that whole scene with the... Oh, oh, oh there's an edit. Here's an edit. Where he smokes uh, Eddie from Die Hard with a bazooka with the the classic barbecue, how do you like your ribs? Yes, and blows blows him up, and then it cuts to ribs being cooked on the barbecue at the birthday party. <laughs> yes, I mean I, that's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, maybe if the movie just would have been a little more funny and a little less brutal, then maybe Ooh. it would have found an like. Yeah, because I feel like not only is it is it very split on like split between comedy and action, the comedy is very broad, and the action is very gruesome. Yeah, perhaps that's like you said the balance where a lethal weapon or a diehard they they have jokes, but they're not spreads quite so much across the movie. And the and the 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 violence is not. I mean, there's gruesome violence in Lethal Weapon, especially the first Lethal Weapon's pretty pretty gruesome, and the second one yeah. too. But the the there aren't like lingering shots of people screaming as they're blown to bits, <laughs> 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 you know. And then a joke that has that practically has like a want want punchline after it. So, <laughs> yeah. and then testicles in a jar. I don't know. It, it, it the the violence in this almost reminds me of Cobra more. To go back to Cobra. Yeah, this could have been made by Canon, couldn't it? But no, it's... Hmm. <laughs> it, well, it, it hmm. didn't have Chuck Norris or Michael Dudikoff in it. Yeah, I just watched uh, Ninja 3 Dominion Domination, okay. which is an amazing movie. But yeah, I think a Canon... Yeah, Canon... Oh, God, Canon films. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that Cobra was Canon. I don't know why I forgot that. I, I remember mm. that Cobra was originally Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. And then it changed drastically. But I, I do feel like Cobra and Cobra and Axe and Jackson are kind of the same level of movie, I think, in my opinion. Like I think Axe and Jackson's better. I think so. And I think Cobra's only memorable for Stallone. Yeah. Um and the supporting car and, and him eating a pizza with a pair of scissors. But um and the <laughs> I forgot I mean, about the cast that. and the rest I think that's this the rest of the movie of this is better. It's almost like if you took Stallone and put him here, it would be it would be a list, or it would be high, more highly regarded. Um, it's almost like a substitution you'd, you'd make, but then it wouldn't be as Carl Weathersy. Um, oh yeah, and I think yeah. I think Stallone doesn't have, especially eighty Stallone doesn't have the comedic timing. No, he. Well, I'd say did he develop it ever? But yeah, I think I don't think. Okay, he quite... I like Oscar. <laughs> okay, I'm the one. <laughs> That's the right, me and my stepmom. We both like that movie, but and, and that's always the correct answer when we say I like Oscar. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, that's, yeah. that's you I, do you. Yeah. But again, it's, I think yeah, Stallone at this point hadn't quite got there. I think he was still action Stallone before anything else. But I think, uh, yeah, I think this this would have been that kind. I think again, there, there's just a couple of little tweaks they might have made just to get it there. But um, I mean, we talk about after the fight, and you know, we've talked about Vanity being a heroin addict, and and basically she's implying that because she hasn't had a hit in so long. She's now gone so cold turkey, you could have me for Thanksgiving. Oh. I, I, I mean... That's, that's almost as bad as Christmas only comes once a year. I was about to say that. Yeah, that is... That is world in... That is... Yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, I've always wanted Christmas in Turkey. It's that kind of bad. But Sorry, that sounds good. Maybe, maybe because you... It was bad because it was a James Bond film. In this, it works in an awful, ridiculous way. Well, in this, it works, it, but I know too much about Vanity, like well, the person. And it's like, in real life, Nick, she, was, she was engaged to Nikki Six, And I can just imagine the drugs. And <laughs> that is one thing that takes me out of the movie, is just, just knowing how her, her story ended. And like, I've known junkies... No, you can't. That's that's not enough for cold turkey. <laughs> yeah, I oh, mean, if anyone's seen Train Spotting, that's a bit more accurate. But uh... yeah, if anyone, or if anyone's been to Detroit, the <laughs> <laughs> real Detroit. But that's is there is there anything else you want to say about this one? I can tell you love it, and I'm glad I got to reintroduce you to the movie. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, that I I, I mentioned on Twitter last uh, when I was watching the film about the. Um, the uh the the cab chase but there was also the part i think it was just after that where um after they'd gone back after he'd been framed for sharon stone's game and they the fridge explodes and there's all these things that they're kind of that is an 80s thing where they kind of rig a household appliance to blow up yeah it's just so fantastic and and, and ludicrous that they it's almost like you know the joke about in Austin Powers about Doctor Evil. It's like why don't you kill him? He needs an an elaborate death. We can't just kill him. We've got to make it look like an accident. Speaking, um, yeah. So speaking of that, the fact that they they, they don't just kill Axon Jackson, but he how long does Craig T. Nelson talk to him? <laughs> Once he could just shoot him, but first he talks to him forever, and then he leaves because they wanted to burn him to death. Yeah, oh, like that. Just, yeah, it's all it's those ridiculous. head to heads. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're good really stuff. good together. They're like uh, Carl Weathers and Craig T. Nelson. The, the the rapport between them, and we know there's history, and we talked about it already. But you know, they this isn't one of those films where they meet at the end and it's kind of head to head. They're already pissing each other off throughout the entire movie. So yeah, that is got that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because like some some movies. They, you don't have enough direct villain hero interaction. Mm, and yeah. this has quite a bit, and that's good. Like, I was just watching, I'm going to do an episode about Manhunter soon, so I watched Red Dragon, which is a terrible movie. Mm. And the good guy and the bad guy are in the same scene for literally, like, five seconds. Yeah. And that's it. Like, you need, even in a serious movie like that, you need to have that that interaction to give it more, make it more personal. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah. some, it's something where where you 
I mean, this film needs it. Obviously, it drives the plot, but you do feel a bit shortchanged sometimes in films like that, where yeah, you want yeah. to see them head to head, and you know if they're well written or anything like that. But in, in here, you can't argue that. No, no, no. But we should wrap up. Can you think of? Are there any other like B minus eighties action movies? Not not the big ones you want to recommend. I think Cobra is a good one if people haven't seen Cobra, but that's pretty pretty well known. Yeah, because I mean the, the the kind of canon ones. Oh, they've They're become almost yeah. But that's that's the thing. A lot of people remember them, but it's mostly the story around canon yeah. that kind of makes them memorable. And and you think about you know the films of that era. I mean, you know, trying to think of ones that are slightly not that big. I mean, everyone knows you know RoboCop and mm-hmm. but you know we we talked about the Running Man earlier. You know that was yeah, that's a great one. That kind of went slightly under the radar compared to some of the others. Um, I would, yeah. My my lesser known '80s films that I always recommend. Uh, you haven't seen The Last Dragon. No, I haven't. No. You you need to see The Last Dragon. Okay. <laughs> uh, that that is one of like top five greatest movies like I've ever seen. It it is. Oh, and the, the, everything about the movie is fantastic, and it has a lot of it a lot of good character actors from the '80s too, but. If you want to see like other kind of maybe in quotes good <laughs> lesser known eighties movies, there's about- Stone Cold with Brian Bosworth. Right. Yeah. I, I was thinking something like Runaway in that kind Runaway. of I just did an episode about Runaway yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Runaway's great. Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, yeah, that that kind of seems like they'd exist in the same world. Yeah, or Runaway Train, which is not more serious movie. But hmm. have you ever heard of that movie? I have. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but um, that's like the, yeah. the serious canon film that had. That's because that was written by Kurosawa. Oh, that uh, one. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, if, it, if I'm going on the lesser known route, and if you want to see a really silly, really stupid '80s movie, uh, number one with a bullet came out the same year as Lethal Weapon. And it stars a black cop and a white a, bl- a black cop and a loose cannon white cop, and the black cop is Billy D. Williams. Oh, the white cop is that. Robert Carradine. His wife is played by Valerie Bertinelli. His mom is Doris Roberts, and the captain is Peter Graves. Wow! So, and that movie's ridiculous and a lot of fun. Also, uh, so. If you can find it, I don't know. I, I don't know where that movie exists in 2021, but it, it's it's no Action Jackson in terms of action, but in terms of like, huh, that was different. <laughs> it's yeah. up there. See, that's the thing. I think um, you know, and this is a totally different conversation, but about okay. how media's gone. You know, how unless you've got the physical copy of your VHS or or Betamax or whatever from the time. It's so difficult to get these movies now. Um, yeah, you know, and they're not always on streaming or digital, or even probably shown on TV. I mean, you're talking to somebody who bought three deep three Blu-rays yesterday. Ooh, okay. So <laughs> I, I am committed to. I bought um, Dementia Thirteen. It's an old Coppola movie. Uh, mm. A Pittsburgh horror movie called Midnight, and an old horror movie called Alone in the Dark with Walter Matthau. No, with Martin Landau. Jack Palance and Donald Pleasance. Oh, wow. uh, so, like, I'm still streaming is great. I love streaming. I love Amazon Prime. I love 
Shutter in America, but I use a mm. VPN for it and all that stuff. But yeah, if you want to find the good shit, sometimes you still got to go physical, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and that's the thing like now, it's everything's so accessible and, and that. But uh, if you've got a copy of a film that isn't going to be widely available, just keep it. Keep oh, it. yeah. You don't, you don't got, I got, I got, I got, I got too many movies. My, my, my family owned a video store. Oh wow, wow! There you go. <laughs> when I was a kid, so I've I've never stopped buying physical media. And like people who listen to this podcast know that I have, you know, thousands of movies and CDs and records in my apartment. And st- you know, it's yeah, I'm I'm an idiot. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Rich, I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. No, thank you for uh, thank you for letting me rent this movie again. It was an uh, absolute joy. Again, tell people about your new podcast. Um, so yeah, so Don't You Want Me is, uh, is about movie relationships. So I guess if we'd have talked about Action Jackson, it would have been the relationship probably between Carl Weathers and Vanity. But, um, you know, sometimes we, we go a little bit off piece. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll have done The Cops as well uh, in the car. You know, a bit of a shout out for Biff. But um, yeah, so we're, we're about those. So, I mean, we I guess we, we did Point Break and it was a relationship between... Oh, that, uh, that's a good one. Jo- Johnny and Bodie um they're not always romantic relationships so uh yeah it's um that that's out now and uh, is, in all, all good and bad podcast apps is is the is the is the relationship between johnny and Bodie not romantic well that that's how it's played but there's a <laughs> uh, there's such a good chemistry between them i think in in, in another universe or maybe uh in my head well <laughs> uh, i think in a lot of people's heads they'd, yes they, they'd have had beautiful children oh well hmm I don't, yes, yes. Let's, I don't know how that would work, but yes. But anyway, uh, <laughs> that went off on a weird, weird one. Uh, yeah. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Laura. Oh, where can they find you online if they want to find um, all your stuff? Well, if they want uh, me myself, I'm uh, at Betamax Pod, uh, and the Don't You Want Me is DYWM Podcast. Yes, and I am as always Lost Turntable on Twitter. I have LostTurntable.com, and again, I'm on YouTube again at lost turntable there just do a search you'll find me i'm putting up videos about record stores here in japan and some other weird old physical media stuff but this has been another episode of cinema oblivia thanks for listening i'll see you again soon take care